0: A pastor explained to his congregation that the church was in need of donations, and the person that would give the largest amount would be able to pick out three hymns. A little old lady wrote a check for $1,000 and handed it to the usher. By far, it was the largest donation given to the church. The pastor, needless to say, was elated when he was told the information and called this angelic being up front in order to pick out her three hymns. The congregation busted out in hysterics because as she stood in the front of the church, she said, I'll take him, him, and him. (laughs) She had picked the three most handsome men in the church. Oh, the uh, Apostle John today directs us to him, him, and him. The first hymn being Satan in Revelation chapter 12. The second hymn will be the Antichrist beginning in chapter 13. And the final hymn, or the third hymn, uh, will be the false prophet. Uh, we are now transitioning to the second Half of the tribulation period. Revelation 12, 1 through 6, which is our text for day, gives us a history lesson on Israel and then moves us chronologically forward. Uh, you notice um, that the persecution is ratcheted up. Uh, you might recall that the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. And in the middle of the seven years breaks the covenant. That is at the same time that we're told here in Revelation chapter 12. This is down in verse 12. For the devil, see, being kicked out of heaven permanently, has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. In essence, Satan will be expelled from heaven. He's coming down to the earth, and he knows that his time is limited, so he ratchets things up, the persecution particularly against the saints and Israel. So now as you're in Revelation chapter 12, let me uh, toss a focus question to you. How will Israel's past impact our future? In other words, as we look at the nation of Israel and their history, How does that impact our future? Revelation chapter 12. Let me go ahead and begin in reading in verse 1. Revelation 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. He, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as he was born She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Join me in prayer. Our gracious Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us the book of Revelation. You truly are the Alpha and the Omega, and we have the beginning of creation recorded in Genesis, and now we are at that season of the Omega, looking at the last book of the Bible. Uh, Lord, we have stepped now from the first time zone, uh, being the vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ, looking at the past. We then transition, Lord, to John's time frame with the seven literal churches and now are traveling through the future. We've gone through the first half of the tribulation, now into the second. So, Lord, I pray that we would glean great wisdom from our study today to understand even better the adversary we have and the three hymns and how deadly that unholy trinity is. Bless our study, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin with our first point. A suffering Israel produced the Christ child. Remember I said we're going to have to look at Israel's history, and then we move chronologically forward. A suffering Israel produced the Christ child. That's our first point, beginning now in verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. The word sign, the Greek term semeon, 77 occurrences from the Greek New Testament. And if I were to ask you, how many times you think this term appears in a book of Revelation? Some of you would immediately say seven because seven is the number, as it seems, for the book of Revelation. And you would be right. The word sign shows us that this is not a literal woman. So the question is, who is she? The description continues. A woman clothed with the son. So you notice a woman and the son. Uh, by the way, we're going to see in just a moment from Genesis 37 that this is referring to Jacob. And what is Jacob's name? He's renamed in Genesis 32 Israel. Then we're going to look at the moon under her feet. Uh, Sadly, uh, the Roman Catholic Church attributes this to Mary, but we'll see from the scripture this clearly points to Rachel. And then on her head, a garland of 12 stars, referring to the 12 patriarchs. One of the things that I love about the book of Revelation, it so often takes us directly to the Old Testament or alludes to passages in the Old Testament. This is no different. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And as you're in now Genesis 37, would you come down with me to verse 9? Genesis 37 verse 9. Then he, and this is speaking of Joseph. Remember, Joseph has many dreams. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream and this time the sun, the Shemish from the Hebrew, but that sounds familiar to us from Revelation 12, the moon, also from Revelation 12, and the 11 stars bow down to me. See, Joseph would be the 12th, but speaking of the 12th, patriarchs so clearly here we're going to see who this is referring to so he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him what is this dream that you have dreamed shall your mother see the moon and i the sun and your brothers the 12 stars bow down to the earth before you his brothers knew uh, who was being addressed because look at verse 11. And his brothers envied him. See, because they would be the ones doing the bowing. And by the way, does this not literally happen when the brothers bow down to Joseph, who is the second in command in Egypt? Sure. But his father kept this matter in mind. I love that we have the scripture to give us the insight into what the book of Revelation is pointing to. Back with me, please. Revelation chapter 12. So we have the identification now. The woman uh, here, clearly Israel. Uh, Rachel uh, was the moon. And then the 12 patriarchs here, the 12 stars. Now, let's take it a step further because from Israel would come the Messiah. Let's make the connection. Look at verse 2 of Revelation chapter 12. Then being with child. See, this is the nation Israel. She cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Thomas writes, Just as a woman feels the pains of childbirth, so did a nation in preparation for the coming of Christ. The cause of these pains, at least in part, is the persecution of the nations inspired by Satan in an attempt to stop the birth and destroy this people of God. Israel was in travail at the time of Christ's first coming. How true was that? So once again, our first point as we're looking historically here at Israel, a suffering Israel produced the Christ child. Point number two, and we derive the point from verses three and four now. The powers of hell sought to kill Messiah. The powers of hell sought to kill Messiah. Down here in verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven. The term another, alas, gives us another of the same kind. The second sign that is now being introduced connects with the first sign. Observe the words and behold. I think there's an important combination there. And behold, Kai Edu, shows that a new sign is given. That's what we had back in chapter 4 in verse 1 with the transition from John's day with the seven churches. Two being caught up into the throne room of God. So in four one we see those words. Also in chapter six in verse two with the white horse. See you have a, another sign. Then in six five there's a black horse that is introduced, and then in six eight a pale horse. So these two words, when they are put together, show that you have a new sign occurring here in the book of Revelation. Now listen carefully to the following grotesque description. A great, fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. Now, clearly, we are looking at the wicked one, Satan. And don't miss the description, because we have to understand our adversary. Number one, he is great. He is a formidable adversary. Don't take Satan lightly. Even the most powerful angel that we know about in the Bible, Michael. He's called an archangel. Only Michael is specifically called an archangel in scripture. He is the one who does not bring a reviling accusation against Satan but says the Lord rebuke you. So if Michael, the one who represents Israel, stands up for Israel, did not directly go after Satan, but went in the Lord's strength. How much more should we be mindful of the power of the wicked one? We don't need to be afraid, but we do need to be aware. Not only is he great, but the description is fiery red, perhaps for bloodshed. In John chapter 8 and verse 44 we see that Satan is not only a liar but he is a murderer. He's a murderer and the father of murder. Remember the first murder that occurred in the Bible? Genesis chapter 4, Cain slain his brother Abel. Well, listen carefully to 1 John 3:12. It says there that Cain is of the wicked one. Who is he of? The wicked one, Satan. So Satan is his father, if you will. So not only is Satan great, described as being fiery red, but he is a dragon. I'm not sure what imagery comes to your mind, but biblically speaking, this same term used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint refers to Israel's enemies. In particular, in Ezekiel 29 3, we won't turn there, but also in 32 2 of Ezekiel, it's a reference to Pharaoh. And who was Pharaoh? An arch enemy of Israel. So Satan is great, he's fiery red, and a dragon. Now, turn with me, and we're not going to go into detail here because we'll pick this up in the future, but I want to give you some connections. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 and 18 pertain to the future destruction of Babylon. I'll make the argument later on why I think it's a literal Babylon that will be destroyed. But in Revelation 17, let your eyes come down to verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. On which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Verse 11. The beast that was and is not, referring to the Antichrist, is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to. Perdition. We'll unpack that one for you in the future. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So, what do we have? Seven heads. Sound familiar? What are they? Seven kings. Future kings, and I want to emphasize this. Sadly, as you pull out commentaries on the book of Revelation, they take you back to great kingdoms in the past to start out, but you can't do that. You have to, if you will, transport yourself into that future time, looking into the tribulation period. So these seven kings uh, are future kings. Then you have 10 horns. What do they equal also? 10 horns kings. And then further, we see seven diadems. So so it's showing a kingly rank. And by the way, this connects also Satan with the Antichrist. Just for a moment, go to Revelation chapter 13. And again, we'll cover this in great detail in the future, but I just want to show the connection here between the dragon, Satan, the Antichrist as well. Revelation 13, Verse 1, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having, notice again, seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So just showing the description that we have a connection between Satan, Revelation 12, and what we'll see is with the Antichrist and then even with Babylon in the future. All right, so back to chapter 12, please. Now, I believe the beginning of verse 4 describes Satan's fall. Notice here, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So when Satan fell, initially he rebelled against God. A third of the angels fell with him. Now speaking here of stars, we saw back in chapter 9 that a star can be referring to an angel. So let me just take you back to refresh your memory there. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and a star, oh excuse me, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, to him was given a key to the bottomless pit. Now, 9-11 as well. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So we see that the angel is clearly here um, a star. So just want to make that connection for you. So in Revelation chapter 12, when we're looking at verse 4, where it says his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, it seems to be referring to angels that fell with Satan. It would be a large number here. And I, the word drew is rather interesting. It means to drag or to draw. Uh, it was used of Paul in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, when he was Saul, dragging people to be arrested. Remember, taking the Christians to have them incarcerated. Then it was used of what Paul experienced because he was stoned in uh, Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And what did they do? They dragged him out of the city. And then in chapter 17 of Acts, in verse six, it was used of Jason, who was one of the Christians at Thessalonica, also being dragged off. So we have here Satan falling, a third of the angels coming down. And notice the direction here. Uh, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the Earth. Uh, the term here "through" is a past tense verb. And again, I think referring to the fall. Of Satan, And I just want to take you back to the passage that describes his fall, Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, as you're turning Ezekiel 28, there are two verses I need to uh, bring to your attention. Uh, the first one is verse 2, because what we have is Ezekiel writing here to the prince of Tyre. See, notice verse 2, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. So the literal ruler. But now, come over to 28.12, and you see a transition occurring. We're going from the earthly ruler to, I believe, Satan. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of And I'm going to walk you through this in a moment, but it's a clear reference to the wicked one, Satan. And the word king here, by the way, the Hebrew word melech, is seldomly used by Ezekiel, but chosen here, I think, to show the transition from the earthly ruler to Satan. So let's look at verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. But now notice here why we believe it's not the earthly king and someone who had longevity, being an angel. Because in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And remember, Satan slithered in to the garden of Eden, Genesis chapter three. Every precious stone was your covering, the uh, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on a day you were created. And I want to draw your attention to the word created because not only here in verse 13, but then also in verse 15, we are reminded that Satan has limitations because he is a created being. Verse 14, he had a place of prominence. You were the anointed cherub of classification of angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You see, he was right there with God. You were perfect. The Hebrew tamim speaks of integrity or wholeness here. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Now, for the second time, Till iniquity, sin, was found in you. And then it goes on to give a further description of his pride and arrogance and how he was cast down. So the fall of Satan. So I think what John is doing by inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's given us a history lesson. We went back to when Satan fell, but even what he would do with the nation of Israel. Come back with me, please. Revelation chapter 12. And I I want you to understand something that I I, I think is ever so significant as you're in Revelation chapter 12. Satan now commands his own army. I call it the spiritual mafia because a third of the angels fell with him. And just listen to the description from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle, and notice the word against, it'll occur four times here, against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Satan has his army. They are highly organized. They are territorial. They are under the authority of the wicked one. So a third of the angels fell And now, strategically, are against us because they hate our Lord. Back in Revelation 12 here, I'll just pick it up. And the dragon stood before the woman, Israel, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon it was born. Historically, this connects with Matthew chapter 2. So would you turn to Matthew chapter 2? And you remember with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan was at work there as well. And this is exactly what Revelation chapter 12 is telling us. Now down to verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise! Take the young child and his mother. And by the way, each time in Matthew chapter two, it talks about the young child and mother. That's the order. The child is always listed before his mother. And I think that could be very deliberate because this is one child that existed before his mother was even born. So arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For a Herod will seek the young child to destroy him because that's what Herod wanted to do. He was threatened because he had wind that the Messiah was going to be born. And even in Bethlehem, so what did he want to do? He wanted to extinguish the ember of that infant king. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. This is uh, Herod the Great, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord out of the prophets saying... Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So what do we understand? Israel's history. From Israel comes the Messiah. And who is there to try to pounce upon the Messiah at birth? None other than Satan. So our first point, a suffering Israel produced the Christ child. Point number two, the powers of hell, that's Satan and his host, sought to kill Messiah. And now some encouraging news. Point number three, a triumphant Messiah Will rule his people. Revelation 12, verse 5. And she, speaking of Israel, bore a male child. Notice child is capitalized because referring to Jesus, who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. See, his rule. Cannot be stopped. It was prophesied from the Old Testament in thousand BC. David talked about the, the nations raging and the anger of the Lord, but that he would set this is God, his king upon his holy hill in Zion. This will. Happen. Let me show you how we connect here. Revelation chapter 2. Because the question that I initially asked, how will Israel's past impact our future? What's the connection there? Revelation chapter 2. Coming down to verse 26. Looking at the church of Thyatira. Verse 26, this is Revelation 2. And he who overcomes... The believer is the overcomer, according to 1 John 5, 4 and 5. And keeps my works unto the end. To him I will give power over whom? Over the nations. Notice the connection now with Jesus. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. And see, we're going to rule and reign with him. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, which I believe is a reference to Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amazing, amazing, because there will come the day when church age saints will rule with Jesus Christ in that future kingdom. You see how we've gone to the past to begin to understand Israel. And from the nation of Israel came the Messiah. And because he is destined to rule, we will rule and reign with him So you have the male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. That's Revelation 12 and verse 5. And her child was caught up to God to his throne. Wonderful. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had finished his ministry on earth. He had conquered death. He took care of his disciples for 40 days, showing them infallible proofs. In other words, that he clearly is God. And then before them on the Mount of Olives, he ascended to the right hand of Father. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1 that he sat down. Why? Because his work was finished at that point. And now, to close out our text, verse 6. Then the woman, this is Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. See, because the dragon, Satan. We're going to see later that the Antichrist and the false prophet want to kill the Jewish people. But notice that they should feed her there. How long? 1,260 days. That's times, times, and half a time. It is for the second half of the tribulation. God will continue to watch over his people. As we've really trekked through a lot of history (laughs) and then also looking into the future, what what is it that we should really understand about this text? Well, I, I want you to get your arms around the truth that we do have a great adversary As Israel and the Messiah have had a great adversary, but we have one that is greater than the adversary. Turn with me to a book of Ephesians, and I want to give you three notable Ps, if you will. Three noteworthy Ps. Beginning in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I give you the word power. Power in verses 10 through 12. Paul here in AD 60-62, chained to a Roman soldier, explains the armor. If you will, metaphorically showing how we should be dressed for success. What we need to put on in order to have the victory over the wicked one. We need power. Verse 10, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. You need to be totally suited up that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, Down here in 10 to 12, we see the need to have power, but power that comes from the Lord. The second P I would present, verses 13 through 17, is protection. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day? The day of temptation. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then finally, to close this out with our third P, think of the word prayer. Verses 18 through 20. that is highly organized with his angels we call them demons we have nothing to fear because when we walk in the strength of the lord we experience his power and then as we continue to put our armor on and make sure daily we are suited up we get protection and then what do we do to kind of close this out we remain in prayer rejoice always 1 Thessalonians 5.16, pray without ceasing. Actually, the modifier is first in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It literally says without ceasing, without pause. What do we need to do? Pray. And that's a command. It's a present command to keep on praying. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for all we've learned today. Lord, we do have an adversary. We do have an opponent. We have one that is stronger than we are, but not when we are abiding in you, not when we are driving our strength from you. And I pray that we would do that. May we understand the history with Israel, the wonderful Messiah that came, the opposition that was um, given to Israel and even a Messiah but the victory we have through the one who conquered death. We thank you for all we've learned today. Help us to practice our three Ps. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.